Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Nellie Thomas is a breath of fresh air. She's warm, sharp, extraordinarily aware of the world and what's wrong with it. And she's bloody funny and super clever. She's also the author of some amazing books, which I may have purchased for gifts. Plus, it turns out that unbeknownst to me, I was present at Nellie's first ever stand-up gig. Who would have thunk it? I'm an unashamed fangirl. My name is Nellie Thomas, and I am a laughaholic. I read out a couple of lines. Some mums have a hairy snatch. Other mums prefer to wait. But I... <laughs> Look, I'm going to take a wild guess. Yes. He's of my and your vintage. He will be quite familiar with the hairy snatch. <laughs> Laughaholics. Celebrating laughter. Recording in progress. So, Nellie Thomas, mum, single mum. Yeah. Mum of two. Yep. Performer, writer, yeah. director, comedian, author <laughs> of some bloody funny books. Thank you. I want to ask you, because Nellie was my grandmother's name, were you given that name as a child or were you, as my grandmother was, an Ellen? An Ellen, no. So usually there's an Ellen or an Eleanor. I'm ah. a Janelle. Janelle? Yes. I'm oh a good WA Bogan 1970s country girl, <laughs> Janelle. From Meriden in From WA. Meriden. You know, there's a Cold Chisel song no. called Janelle. You probably don't because it wasn't one of their hits. Janelle, Janelle, Janelle. It has been a lifelong dream of mine and it's yet to happen and I'm 47. No one that I have dated has ever played that song to me. And it's this oh. beautiful, beautiful song. Oh, like it's an unrequited love song. Imagine Jimmy Barnes just belting out, Janelle, Janelle, Janelle. And I'm like, as a 15-year-old, like anyone, anyone, someone play. It's right there. The song's there. It's beautiful. It's very melancholy, which suits me, to be frank. I hear you. Look, I have a bit of I have a bit of song envy because when I was about, I'm guessing, ten, there was a band called, I think, The Castles or something like that. And there's my song went da 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 ba 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 Tracy, when I'm with you, something you do. It's awful. It's truly awful. But no, my... no. No, I disagree. It's no, it's not awful. romantic. It's not romantic at all. It's not the song you, you lay in your room when you're 15 hoping <laughs> no. someone will play to you. No, it's but not. But I think that suits you. You're sunshine and light. Oh, Nellie. Does anybody call you Janelle? Does your mum call you Janelle? Yes, so I get a mix of, um, which really freaks my kids out because they don't hear many people call me Janelle. So I get Janelle, mostly Nell from the family and Nelly. But I, the, when I did my first gig, was it, which was Jeez Louise Funny Women's Forum in 2002. So Linda Which is Hager where we started. met. I think you and I met there, Nelly. That is the day that we met. Mm. And I registered, as I do with everything with my real name, but I introduced myself to Linda as Nellie and she's like, oh, you can't be Janelle on stage. <laughs> she's like, Nellie's a funny name. Nellie's like, great. 
you know, it's got, so I started using that then. So pretty much most people who know me now would call me Nelly, but I've still got friends who call me Janelle. I'm kind of okay with it. But it's like who you it's, are. It's who you are. But I just, yeah. I'm, I, I don't know, it's just become a habit on this podcast that I ask people about their names, unless their name's Shane for Shane Jacobson, yeah. because that's it. <laughs> but, well, um, I can, let me tell you this, I was supposed to be called Petrina. Oh, wow. And my dad saw the name, Janelle, so I'm Janelle Marie, and he saw Janelle Marie in a death notice <laughs> the day that I was born, Tracy. So... Make of that what you will. <laughs> well, I, I was named after there was an actress called Jean Simmons, not to be confused with Kisses yes. Jean Simmons, whose tongue I bit because he shoved it down my throat and I bit <gasps> it. I bit it. Because There's a story. Somebody How had to. Happen? Well, we were filming a thing called The Chat Room, which lasted three episodes and it was pulled off Channel 7. And he... I had been a big fan of Kiss, you know, as a mm. teenager. But he, we'd interviewed him when I was at Fox. He'd come into the studio, and he's he's a total misogynist. And right. he came in and pulled pulled the back of my hair, and literally, I mean, now you'd he'd, be go, he'd go to jail for it. But he pulled my hair and said, "Where is she?" and stuck his tongue down my throat. It was disgusting. Oh and my he, lord! He thought I liked it, and I was just and I was horrified. And I didn't have the tools or the knowledge. I mean, now no. now it would never happen. But at the time, I would have yeah. been I would have been uh, a, you know comedian creating a female just arcing up and what where's her sense of humour? Which you know mm. you and I have both experienced that sort of stuff. So I remember you know we had to do the interview, and then in the same week while he was still in Melbourne, we we were doing this pilot for this show, and he came onto the set, and it was huge audience, and I I talked to him in his off camera ear and said, don't even think about putting your tongue down my throat. Well, clearly he took that as an invitation, pulled oh my, my hair back God. again, rammed his tongue down my throat, and I went and bit it oh. so hard that it bled. <gasps> and he said, oh, my God, no one's ever done that to me before. And I said, well, I think it's about time somebody did. Someone did. Yeah, because it was such Gross. it was such an assault. And it was, I yeah. mean, and also, I mean, he'd been very vocal about where that tongue had been. I mean, it, everywhere. So it was, That is so gross. It was so gross. You know so, what, yeah. it's interesting. I reckon it's important to point out, like this is one of my passion subjects, so don't get me started, but... You know, that that fight, flight, freeze, fawn kind of response needs to be talked about more. Yes. Like that's actually a really natural and normal instinctual response when you are assaulted is to do one of those things. People think that you're everyone. Tracy Bartram, she's so strong. You know, she's so confident. Look at the work that she does. If something like that happened to her, she would immediately know what to do. And that's just not reality. It's not. It's not reality. You're absolutely right. I, I mean, I remember doing some TV commercials for one of the radio stations I work for. At one point, one of the people in the ad ran out completely naked and wagged his dick in my face. So funny. So, so funny. funny. Now, here's the thing. Huge, packed, packed studio audience. Um, we had um, talent from all around the country because they were filming this particular ad for every breakfast show. Now, performer says, you've got to keep going. Mm. Audience screaming. I was, as you, you mentioned, you know, that, that fight or flight or freeze or fawn. I just mm. kept going because I didn't have the tools to go, hang on a minute. Mm. I don't want to see his junk. Mm. We have to do this another mm. way. And it wasn't the first time that I'd had to experience that. And no, or the last, I'm sure. No. Like if I reflect on 
the experience of like the guy coming out with his cock out, you know, mm. and I've been in that situation and I'm sure even many non-comedians have been in that situation. If that guy came to me 10 years later and when, you know, I've been thinking about it and I probably shouldn't have done that and I hope I didn't make you uncomfortable or something like that, I would be the first person to go, thank you very much, I yes. appreciate it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. If and it's so, sincere. I mean, if it's some public bullshit where I'm just trying to, you know, you're trying to reform your public image or whatever, that's a whole other category. But if yes. someone, you know, as that's cliched, but if someone, when people know better, they do better. That's exactly and right. There has to be room for improvement. Otherwise, yeah. we should just all give up. Yeah, that's exactly right. Do I feel bad about it? Well, yes, I do, but I'm not trying to justify it. It's It was the way things were at the time, but I'm fully aware that, as you know, one of my dear friends has said to me, but, you know, you had the power there. You were the... You were this powerful woman in this powerful role, and these girls were—they didn't have your power. And I and I went, oh God, because I never felt powerful. That's the thing. I was still mm. very much the, I'm a fraud. What am I doing here? I've got no talent. Someone's going to find out. And, mm. and pl- plenty of people have told me I have no talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, which and, br- you know, join the queue. Well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, which which brings us to to fat mole mm. because that was your first heckle, wasn't it? I mean, and the fa- yes. and the title of your fabulous book, which I have laughed out loud, you know, some mums are fat moles. And I love the fact, I mean, <laughs> Nelly, you know, I, I love you and have since we met, but the fact that you've actually spelt it correctly, which is M-O-L-L-S. Thank you. Yes, because everyone gets it wrong because of Kylie oh. Mole. But, but also that caused like a whole, speaking of, you know, getting caught up in trivia, that caused such consternation on social media. Like the amount, I'm like, there's actually quite, I mean, I'm not trying to sound too up myself, but there's quite revolutionary things in that book. Yes. And the debate is about how to fucking spell mole. Yes. Like, right. <laughs> like you spelled mole wrong. A, I did not. Yep. And B, can we talk about the content? Can we talk about the content? Please. Now, I've got to tell you, I actually, um, I read out a couple of lines to Daryl, our producer, Daryl Misson, <laughs> producer extraordinaire. Leave that in, please, Daryl, because you are exceptional and a joy to work with. But I, I, I read this line out to him. Some mums have a hairy snatch. Other mums prefer to wax. Well, Daryl's still laughing at that. But I <laughs> look. I'm going to take a wild guess. Yes, I met Daryl briefly. He's of my and your vintage. Gorgeous. He would oh, be quite yeah. familiar with the hairy snatch. Yes. He, well, you know, he's laughing now. I can hear him. <laughs> <laughs> it's the young blokes who've grown up on on unrealistic porn. Yes. Who've only ever seen you Bald. know tiny young vaginas, frankly who were shocked by the hairy snatch. I know. I told my son, and my son Max is 27 in December, which is hard to believe because the last time you and I saw each other in person, when I sent you that photo, when you were doing a gig which was promoting um, breast awareness and breast health. Yeah, and he was like 19 or something, wasn't he? He might have been, yeah. And you had these cupcakes with nipples on them and he couldn't get enough of those, let me say. And he was <laughs> he was breastfed till he was four, so you'd think he'd be over it. But um, no, three and a half. He was three and a half. But, and I was given a, I was given a plaque um, in Western Australia in my first radio job. They said there are these awards every year and mine was he'll be breastfed until he's grown stubble award because yeah. <laughs> Max was so, you know, I was such a long-term breastfeeder. But I... I said to him when he was a teenager, Max, you're going to you're going to be going out with girls with no pubic hair. And he said, yeah. why? And I said, because 
they're all getting rid of it. And he said, why? And I said, because it's the fashion. And, it's, yeah. and at the time when he was a teenager, I was watching women in our industry talking about taking their daughters for their first bikini wax. And mm. I'm thinking, what are you doing? Mm. Why, why are we teaching girls that having hair is, is wrong? And I was looking at pictures of Madonna's daughter the other day, Lourdes or Lola, mm. proudly showing her hairy armpits. And what, and what I love about some mums are fat moles is that you're, you're basically saying, as it should be, all women, and I think the quote is, all women can look however the fuck they want. Exactly. Like to yeah. me it's not an issue if you want a bald vag, go for it. Go for it, but don't do it out of shame. It's the issue of it being prescriptive. Like I remember the, one of the first jokes I ever wrote, and I can't remember the joke and it was terrible anyway, and I think I did it at Jeez Louise actually, but I remember watching Big Brother. So this is back, you know, when Big Brother started. Back in those days they actually showed them in the showers. I don't know if they still do they that. They did, and they showed them shaving themselves, didn't they? It was yeah, so and I intrusive. One of the guys said something about one of the girls having like a landing strip. So yeah. having a tiny bit of pubic hair. And he actually said, I can't remember, I believe, I can't believe I remember this like 20 years later. We do. But he actually said to one of the other contestants that he would never sleep with her. Like he would never have sex with someone with any, like any woman with pubic hair. And I remember <gasps> thinking to myself, so if, I don't know, Winona Ryder, I'm trying to think of a good looking woman. If, you know, like some famous woman came to you offered herself up to you but she had a few pubes, you'd knock her back. My God. But I actually think this guy's level of repulsion was so great that he probably would. And I thought that's a actually it's a really interesting cultural moment mm. because no offence, Daryl, who's listening, but in my experience most men would root a peach. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like of our generation they're not that fussy. No, that's right. And, and uh, in fact, I remember when Eat, Pray, Love came out, which I, I love that book. Yeah. And um, they were talking about, you know, they'd been, eat, they'd been, there's a whole thing if you haven't read that book and the, the film just didn't do it justice, but there was this whole thing about she, she ate in Italy and prayed yeah. in India and fell in love in Bali. So she, she developed a muffin top. You know, I'm thinking, yeah. you developed a muffin top? I think I was yeah. born with a muffin yeah, top, totally. you know. And the fact that men, you know, good men, embrace us the way we are but we've been yeah. our whole generation or both of our generations because I'm seriously older than you um <laughs> you know we we yeah quite a lot yeah you're 47 I'm 62 Oh my God! I you know. do not look sixty-two. Oh, thanks, Nelly. I've had work. Um, no, I haven't. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I haven't. But thank wax. you, thank you. I've waxed my face. But you know, it's cultural. We were brought yeah. up knowing that you know we weren't okay. And I wanted to tell you something because there's, there's another line that I've written down. Um, some mums like it totes vanilla. Surely they all pat their own chinchilla, which I thought was so <laughs> great. But it reminded me of something that I wanted to tell you because <laughs> this is a masturbation story, Daryl. No, ready. no, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I was at a, I, it was the opening night of something. I can't remember. I, oh yes, I can. It was Billy. The opening El night of something. All right, <laughs> Jesus. 
It How was dirty it, are we going? We're getting dirty. It was the opening night of Billy Elliot. So it's, we're talking a long time ago and it was it was New Year's Eve, which was really clever. Have an opening night on New Year's Eve and have the after party and it was Billy Elliot and it was all these blue drinks and the kids were just loving it because it was so exciting. And I was talking to Brian Mannix from the Uncanny X-Men and mm-hmm. his wife Sue and they've been together forever and they're a yeah. great couple and they're really, really funny. And I don't know how we got onto the conversation of waxing. I don't know why. Why would yeah. we? Especially yelling at each other on an opening <laughs> night. You know? And he, something came up about waxing and he, he looked at me and said, Jesus, Trace, what have you got, a cat in your lap? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Were you I said, nude? Was I, no, well, yes, I was, Nellie. I was yeah. nude. But... <laughs> But when I read that uh, that line about it, we all pat our own chinchilla, and I just, I look, I love the artwork. I love the, I yeah, it's great, it, isn't it's it? It's so great. Can you tell yeah. us the name of your artist because I I didn't yes. write it down, and she's so gorgeous. my illustrator is is Kat McGuinness. So I worked on, I've written a few children's books, and yes. we collaborated on my favourite children's book, which is Some Brains, which yes. is about neurodiversity because yes. I have an autistic daughter. Yep. And I started working with Kat on that, and then the beginning of lockdown. 2020 you know when we thought it was just going to go for a little while we did. my response to lockdown was like my response to crisis is to overcompensate so I started a podcast and I bloody painted the house and I decided to do a new book you were walking every day and going nuts with it walking every, every day. day I was like I react to crisis with activity and then burnout mm-hmm. but anyway so I contacted Kat and I went I want to do I don't want to do a kid's book like I want to do a book that's more honours me as a comedian, you know, that is the the grown-up part of me. I don't want to just be mum. I don't want to just be carer. I don't want to just be nice, sweet, you know, children's author who can talk about autism. I want to do a book about mums and it's going to be filthy and, what you know, can you draw pubes? She's like, I'm in, mate. I'm the in. pubes, like, got to say, the pubes are great. <laughs> Aren't they? I, they are so good. That the, there's, there's this image of everyone listening four four bikinis yeah. with different levels of pubes, and yeah. so so great and so refreshing because you yeah. don't see that. But how fun, Tracy! You will relate to this as a comedian. Like the text messages, she'd send me an illustration, and I'd go, "Not enough pube stuff." <laughs> Like more hairy snap. That's yeah. not hairy enough, yeah. you know, or that one's not fat enough or there's not enough stretch marks or whatever. Like just that the frankness to be able to, I mean, we're lucky we have that kind of working relationship, but to be able to go, no, I want take it further. Yeah. I want the mum who's at home who does have a full bush, who's yep. got the 70s bush and yep. rocks it and loves it yep. to see herself represented and also the one who's who's stripped it all bare. Yep. Like you're both fine as long as you've made that choice from a place of autonomy yeah, and empowerment and not because some dickhead on Big Brother reckons he wouldn't rate you. So let's talk about your mum because I reckon your mum must have been pretty amazing for you to be who you are, although I say that with no knowledge. Mm. Was your mum funny? Were, were your parents funny? Who was the funny one when, when little Janelle was growing up? Like, yeah. What were the things? Like did you have a, a family language or a family code? Did you have shows that you watched together that you just oh, absolutely sure. loved? So I think, I mean, for context, so we're in rural Western Australia, like our local member was Wilson Tucky. Like we're talking hardcore, redneck. Conservative. Racist, homophobic, but to a level that I think 
people who live in Melbourne and Sydney, for example, couldn't really comprehend. No. You know, like when Pauline Hanson became a thing, it didn't shock me at all. You know, like that's, you that's where I come from, yes. you know. Um, so the humour was very rough and it was a blood sport. And mum's from a family of 12. My dad's got nine brothers. Wow. Right. So there's like literally like hundreds, more than a hundred cousins and wow. aunties and uncles and all of that kind of stuff. And pretty rough. I mean, good sense of humor. Like I definitely developed my sense of humor in that environment, but I will say for a kid who, well, I don't know. Sometimes I say maybe I was sensitive so it hurt me. And then other times I go, nah, it was pretty fucked. It would have hurt anyone. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm actually not sure which one it is, but this might give you some indication. This is probably the best answer I can give you to the question. So my theory on comedians, most people, as you would know, think that we are the class clown or they're like the life of the party. I think that is very rare. Like there's a couple of comedians I've met in my time who would have been that sort of attention-seeking joker. My theory on comedians is that we are the kid in the family that wasn't listened to, you know, or who felt not seen or in some way not understood or heard or honoured or whatever you want to call it. Um, So I reckon I developed – I wasn't like the loud, funny kid. I was quite a nerd, you know. I was a really – um, fastidious student. I was the first person in my family to go to uni. And someone um, in the family who knows how to spell mole properly. That's right. Yes. And I'm certainly counts. not the first to use the word. But. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't grow up, and I reckon this is true of lots of comedians, I certainly didn't grow up feeling nurtured, let's put it that way. Um, so my, my relationship with my mum, I don't know, I'd say it's complicated. It's a very good description, isn't it? Complicated. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm always, I mean, I'm sure you're the same. Like it's, it's a very strange thing living a public life to some degree because you're constantly balancing privacy and truth. Yes. I always want to tell the truth, but I'm always conscious that I'm in a position of power to be in front of a microphone. Yeah. You know, and so if you're talking about whether it's your kids, your parents, your brother, your neighbor or whatever, they haven't got to write a reply. Yeah. So um, I'm conscious of sort of weighing that up, but I would say most of my, <laughs> put it this way, there's an image that I think I've seen it on your social media. There's an image of um, like concrete with a wildflower growing out of it. Yeah. You know, and the idea being beautiful things grow in harsh environments. That's right. At the risk of calling myself a beautiful thing, that's me. You are me. a beautiful thing. That's me. You are a beautiful thing. Nelly. Wasn't always easy. Let's put it that way. No, I get it. Were you from a big family too? Because both your parents come from here. No, enormous- no. So only me and my brother. But I think because we had so many cousins, and my nana was the absolute. My maternal grandmother was the matriarch, and I absolutely adored her, and I was very, very close with her. It felt like I was in a big family. Like I would go to her house every day. You know, my favourite, favourite thing would be I would go and stay at her place. We'd get into bed at 7 o'clock. Oh. We'd have a 4X mint and we would read What's her books. What's a 4X books. mint? You know, like like one of those really hot Oh, yes. Mints in the orange packet. Every night in the orange packet. Yes. And then we'd read like the new idea 
and oh. the women stay together. Oh, yeah. Did she Afterward- make th- did she make things like lemon slice and hedgehog? She did. She was more a savoury cook. A rissoles, love you a rissole, good roast. Yeah. Um, a bit of corned beef. You love a corned oh, beef. Oh, love a bit of corned beef. I've, I've managed to muck it up, so I'm never doing it again. Yeah, I, I can't make I it can't. like Nana. It's one of those no. those ones. But, we yeah, she was beef. that house yeah. where everyone went and she had the lolly jar and you could, you know, have as many lollies as you want and all that kind of stuff. Which so is why we're all still addicted to sugar in a big all way. All still addicted oh, yeah. to sugar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lockdown, Jesus. Oh, my God. my God. Don't even start. I was listening to you talking about how lockdown made you just go into activity and I just went into sugar and lying on the couch and watching Netflix. Well, Couldn't I do got anything. there. See, this is what I do. So I respond to crisis and I think that's something to do with my background, to be honest. I respond with action. So I'm actually really good in a crisis. Like if, you know, a woman broke her leg out the front of my house the other day. Like I'm very calm. I immediately go and I take care of business. Was it your fault? No, it wasn't, thankfully. Good, just checking. Yeah. <laughs> but what I do find is that I, I, I'm overcompensating for trauma. Yeah. And so I did that for the first three or four months of lockdown and then just completely lost my shit. Good. And got I'm to glad. the point where... I'm glad because I, I didn't want to think that competing oh, with mate. you was a failure. Yeah. No, no. I was in, the, like, I'm a women's health ambassador. I mm. was in the shed hiding from the kids with a gin and tonic and a fag I bummed off the postie. <laughs> Like, I'm not even kidding. I love that. <laughs> I love I'm that. I'm not even kidding. Oh, that's so, so great. I respond to difficulty with like, okay, let's sort ourselves out. Like, even you know, I went through a separation early in this year, like after a 21-year relationship. What that's do hard. I do? Sort out your bank accounts, you know, organise like houses, like take care of technicalities mm. and then six months later feel it. Yeah, I hear you. you know? I hear yeah. you. So, what was it that made you? Well, was it was is it just a rite of passage for Perthites? I mean, Judith Lucy's from WA. Yeah, is it? You just have to go and live on the east coast because if you want to do, were you already doing comedy when you came to Melbourne, or did you come no. to Melbourne? Okay, I actually came to Melbourne. I was doing a PhD. Isn't that fancy? Yeah. What was that in? So I got a scholarship to do a PhD at Melbourne Uni in cultural studies. Yeah. And I wanted to do the PhD on Lindy Chamberlain, who I've always been fascinated by. It was Me a too. really like seminal moment in my life. Yes. And I was talked out of it and did it instead on Paul Keating. And then this will make you cry. I did. It's already making me cry. Eighty thousand words of a hundred thousand word thesis and. Put pulled out because that's an interesting question I ask myself the answer is different all the time so the the literal answer is I got a job so I was offered a good policy job and I took it and it was well paid and you know what little working class girl is not going to take a well-paid office job yeah Um, it was a policy job I was in my 20s it was well above my experience all that kind of stuff but I think the older I get, the more I f- reflect on it. I think I just didn't feel like I deserved it, honestly. Like I, I shouldn't have even gone to uni, you know. I remember, I mean, when I say I shouldn't have, I mean I felt like. You felt like a I fraud. Have. But also is it, is it possible that you also dropped out because you'd abandoned your passion, which was Lindy Chamberlain, Totally. To, do, to do something that other people said you should do, which is basically Absolutely. how we've grown up. Yes. I, I think if I had done it on Lindy Chamberlain, I probably would have finished. But I had that constant sense, which I think a lot of kids from working class backgrounds have at uni and still have, like class is one of the things we don't talk enough about in Australia. 
I had const- just constantly felt out of place, constantly felt like I shouldn't be there. How did I get here? I remember yep. my one of my English tutors at um, University of WA saying to me, are you going to do honours? And I remember saying to her, why would I do honours? And again, this sounds up myself, but I'd like, I'd had straight H1s. I was like getting marks in the, you know, high 90s, but it had still never occurred to me that I would go on to further study because culturally, frankly, that was just something I'd never heard of. I didn't know anyone who'd been to uni. You've just said alone. H1. I don't know what H1 is because I didn't go to uni either. I yeah, didn't have so the opportunity. really high marks, you know, yep. and if you'd come from, if you, like my kids who've got two university educated parents, like, of course, if they go to uni, they'll consider doing honours, you know, or a master's or a PhD. But it was just every step of the way was overwhelming. Yeah. You know, to kind of go, I'm, I'm not with my people, you know. Yeah. Not, I don't know how to handle it. I remember trying to order at a restaurant and try, I, it was at the Moon Cafe, which you probably know in Perth. Oh, the Moon. The Moon Cafe in Northbridge. Oh, my God, yes, I love that cafe. And I tried to order an alfresco. Oh, darling. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'd seen it on the menu. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. Oh, I love that. Isn't I it? love I that. I mean, it's sweet when I look back on it. I love the fact that you ordered alfresco. <laughs> oh, my God. My favourite was I remember, of course, I'd never been exposed to many people, and I rock up to UWA at 17. Yeah. You know, that was my ticket out of town. That was my ticket to freedom. I worked really hard to get to uni. And one of the first guys I met was Jewish. Yeah. And we were chatting and he thought I was Jewish. And I asked him later why he thought I was Jewish. And he said, because of your sense of humor. Like it's a very oh. Jewish sense of humor, which I don't know what that means, but that's what he said. Gavalt. He said to me, oh, you know, once I told him where I'd come from, he's like, oh, are you anti-Semitic? And I said, oh, no, I'm Anglican. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what that even meant. Oh, I, I love never, that. Like, how could I have prejudice when I didn't even know what a Jewish person was? Well, that's was? right. That's exactly right. I'll tell you who I found out who is anti-Semitic, and if you didn't know this, it'll probably hurt you as much as it hurt me. Roald Dahl, who wrote Charlie and oh. the Chocolate Factory, absolute, total anti-Semitic. And oh, I just no. absolutely broke my heart. I found that out about a year ago and just went, you can't be serious. But yet... Totally Isn't was. Isn't it devastating when you felt like there's been so much of that? For me, it was Louis C.K. Oh, me like, too. Oh, I my was God. just Loved absolutely him. devastated to yeah. find out about his behaviour and even more devastated to see him now doubling down and, like, touring about it for fuck's sake. Oh, you no. Know, making jokes about it. Like, it's one thing to seek redemption but to, anyway, that's a whole other thing. I, look, um, I, I feel you. So let's go back. Let's go back. You've, you've, you've given up your PhD. Yeah. You've got the policy job. Yeah. What was the leap from policy job to Nellie Thomas comedian? Yeah. What, what so happened? I go, the, the short version is policy job in TAFE, found that really unfulfilling, decided I wanted to work in welfare, went and worked in um, homelessness um, and domestic violence, right? So all the lighthearted stuff. All the funny stuff, yeah, yeah. Literally in high security shelters for women who were escaping literally lethal, life-threatening situations. Trauma. And worked with a lot of young offenders coming out of prison and women coming out of prison and trying to house them, which I absolutely loved. Um, but being a kind of uh, overgiving empath got burnt out of pretty course. quickly. Yeah. 
and I had been at the same time a big sister in the big sister program. Okay. Through YWCA and I had the same little sister for seven years and she wanted to go to the Fringe Festival and she picked this thing called Jeez Louise. Okay. And so I went along with her. She didn't show up. I showed up, met Linda Hager and Linda Gibson and yourself oh, and Gibbo. Michelle Laurie and a range of people. And I said to Linda Hager, oh, there's been a mistake. Like I thought this was a writing thing and I was here with my little sister and, you know, I'll just go. And she's like, look, you're here now. Yeah. You may as well give it a go. And so I stayed and did a five-minute bit that Saturday night. No way. That was the day you did it. That was the day, first time I'd ever been on stage and told jokes. I was on the panel. Yes, you were on the panel and giving it was, me um, feedback. It was, it was in um, oh, the old Annabelle's nightclub, which became Mietta's. Yes. Yes. It was the most beautiful venue with this incredible um, Big, staircase. Big, long room. Yes. Yeah, the whole thing. So I had to, I wrote five minutes that day. Nelly, that's so brave. I know. I just thought, you know what, because I had decided to leave welfare, so I was in this sort of flux of kind of going, what's my next step? I was 28, which yep. I know you like to get, like, the universe about it. 28's meant to be one of those years. You know where, you know, I'm totally into that because when you're 28, you've lived four cycles of seven, and when you've lived four cycles of seven, then you can see a numerologist because that's how it goes. Apparently you've lived earth, air, fire and water yeah. and you can go and get your charts done when you're 28. Well, I was 28 and so I did that and then someone who was in the audience who booked the Prince Patrick said to me, I reckon you're great, why don't you come and do a spot? Oh, wow. Went, oh, okay. So I went and did a spot and four months later I won the National Raw Comedy Competition and then two months after that was in Edinburgh doing a show. That's Okay, so that's the path of least resistance because in terms of, you know, if you look at the metaphysical law of attraction type of lens, when things happen that quickly, you're completely on the right path. It was so bizarre. When I Even when I retell the story now, I think I'd never told a joke. I'd never been to stand-up. I'd never been to the comedy festival. Like I had done debating, I'd done public speaking, I was confident on stage, like that part of it didn't um, worry me. But in terms of telling jokes and things like that, never. And what, my 15th, 16th gig was in front of 1,200 people live, you know, televised live on national television with me winning and going to the Edinburgh Festival. Fantastic. And how great is the Edinburgh Festival? It's just oh, oh, yeah. the first time I did it, my show was called Six Foot Silly and Six Months Pregnant because I was. Yeah. <laughs> and and then when I went back years later, Max was nine and I chucked in my radio job and um, he was one of the promoters. We all They were all wearing these shocking white wigs because it was called Illegally Blonde and, um, you know, we were out in the Royal Mile handing out flyers every day. Oh, it's, yes. just, it's exhausting but, and it's, it's exhausting. exhilarating. But, you know, I mean, anyone listening who's never been to the Edinburgh Fringe, um, I remember it's full, re- on. it's full on and I remember mm. reading this statistic that at the time that I was there last, I think they had 1,278 shows and – but. Edinburgh not only does the Fringe but they do the the Jazz Festival, the Book Festival, the the Edinburgh Tattoo and so the audiences are completely split up which is stupid because they should be they should do them sequentially so everyone has a slice of the pie and um but I remember reading that the average audience size was six and uh Pretty much, yeah. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Hardest thing I've ever so done, hard. and I've done it twice and both yep. times. And, I mean, the second time when I think about it, like I had, 
you know, some big names who were very kindly promoting my show, you know, even though I had like very little to offer. And even then, you know, it was hard to get people. So like it's a, it's a real shit fight. I'm glad I've done it. Yeah. But I, I don't have any interest in doing it again. No, like, never. I would like to go and watch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's very much oh, it's a young people's thing. But I, seriously, yeah. I mean, I, I got to the point where I just thought I just don't want to be getting changed into my stage gear and stepping in piss because I'm in a public yeah. toilet and no one's cleaned Lovely. it. It was just but disgusting. But also everyone around you, the thing I found hard, and again, I've learned over the years, it sounds very wanky, but I really am an empath. Like I just, mm. I absorb the feelings of the people around me, which is probably in a way makes me a good comedian. You know, I can walk into a room and feel what's going on. Um, but it also makes me really susceptible <laughs> to oh, yeah. damage, you know. And when you're in Edinburgh, by about day 10 or 12, the people around you are really starting to lose it. Yep. So that's when people are really like, you know, getting coked up or drinking too much or, you know, whatever. Like people are losing their shit. Very much. A couple of weeks in. And, and their money. I, and their money because no one's making any money. So everyone's freaking out because they're broke, absolutely broke. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so there's no one holding, there's no one there to hold you and or hold space for you yeah um but and if you're absorbing all of that as well as trying to manage your own show and your own feelings and that you know Horrible. it's a lot did you now, who did you watch who did you watch in edinburgh that you loved can you remember oh absolutely it was the first time which shame on me because she lives in our city but it's the first time i ever saw maura finucane oh my god so, oh. Who i never i knew nothing about her and I, I saw her for the first time two years ago and bl- she blew my mind i mean i knew blew of her my mind she's extraordinary yeah, <laughs> yeah. just the, the like unrecognizable between characters yes um, I also saw, which I find like very challenging, and I still think about it. I saw Doug Stanhope, whose views on some things I find quite frankly repulsive. Okay, <laughs> so, I'm going to look up Doug Stanhope. It's not a yeah, name that I know. Really, really challenging. Um, is you know he, he's representative in a way of this moment in time that we're in, where you kind of go, I want to call out stuff that's offensive. But I also don't want offence to be removed from comedy. You know, it's yep. not the comedian's job to never offend anybody. Which is what Ricky Gervais says. Ricky Gervais' whole attitude is, you know, if you're going to get offended, get offended, but don't tell us we can't say what we want to say. That's true. And then on the other side of it, though, I go, the, the, the people I see, and they're usually guys, not always, but the people I see crying censorship have huge platforms. Yes. You know, so they're like, oh, I'm being so censored. I'm like, no, you're fucking not. We just don't like you. That's right. You know, <laughs> you can say whatever you want. I mean, even the recent Dave Chappelle controversy, it's like your career's not going to end. No. But um, you've hurt people yes. and they're telling you that you've yes. hurt them. Yeah. So you can either take that on board or not. But I'd still go and see your show. But I would also reserve the right to be upset and offended. And that was kind of my experience with Doug Stanhope. I remember, I still remember it from years and years ago, sitting through this show. Lots of people walked out. Pretty rare for me to walk out of a show. But I was so uncomfortable with this balance of some of the stuff you're saying is awful. You're also a really skilled comedian. And there's parts of your act that I adore. 
you know, it's this kind of dance. Oh, I'm going to have a look conscience. now. So who are you loving? Tell me about the comedians you love. Tell me about the people that you watch, that you've seen, that for me, you know, Dawn French can do anything. Jennifer oh, Saunders can do anything. Just yeah. love them so mm. much. They're just, they're funny to their core. Yeah. Um, who, do you, who is it? Who does it for well, you? Well, I think that's, I'm glad you raised Dawn French because she and, you know, French and Saunders, you know, that whole kind of era, I have a completely uncomplicated relationship to their humour. So I don't watch it even back now and kind of go, oh, that that feels a bit wrong. You no, know, it like, never did. That, it's all just, there's no it's meanness. It's just funny. It's always, it's just screamingly funny. I mean, it's Dawn French funny. doing Kim Kardashian with a giant bum. Yeah. One of the funniest things. Oh, yeah. my God, it's my ass behind me. Like, yeah. It's just, it's just I, hilarious. By contrast, I love I love your kind of your Bill Hickses. I love your yes. I love Eddie Murphy. You know, yes. I remember watching Eddie Murphy back in the day. I mean, I watch his stuff. It's so homophobic. Yes, it's so homophobic. So, well, the reason I love French and Saunders is because I'm not sitting there feeling a bit uncomfortable about the fact that it's funny. That's right. <laughs> Whereas. Thinking back to Eddie Murphy, I'm like, oh, I can't believe we were laughing at that. It's kind of parts of it are like Rodney Roode. I know. You know, like it's that offensive. We're not talking we're on the edge. We're talking no faggots in the audience. Like what? Awful. Yeah. We're just awful. So it's like complicated. And even with someone like Bill Hicks, who I just think is genius, I'm like, yeah, but a genius who we're watching kind of slowly die yes you know like why am I watching that yeah yeah it was it's that's the thing and I was the same with Bill Hicks because I learned about him very early in my career I did an interview with a woman called Penny Arcade and uh, I remember saying oh <laughs> I said gee it must drive you nuts every time you hear that song and she said what song because <laughs> And she was talking about Bill Hicks and I'd never heard of him. And, of course, I started watching him and just remember thinking, oh, my God, this guy is so sick. And for me, I mean, look. In pain. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Like one of my favourites, so Doug Stanhope, who I referenced before, one of the things I loved, he he did a bit in that show and I still remember it, where he was like, um, he talked about going, he has anxiety and a lot of self-loathing and all the stuff that we, we know about. That we live with, and yeah. he's like, when I go to bed, he's talking about insomnia. He's like, I'm wide awake. I'm, like, exhausted. I need to sleep. The minute my head hits the pillow, it's like, dun, 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 you're a fucking fraud. <laughs> dun, 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 nobody likes you. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, my God. Like, part of me is like, the pain that you're in. Yes. He's just, I can't even cope with this level of pain, but fuck, it's funny. And so true. And relatable. Yep, so true. And, you know, I mean, look, my my therapist of four years died at the start of this year, which I think is really oh. rude, very, very rude of her. Oh, um, I'm so sorry. Oh, Nelly, I can't even tell you. But, I mean, the gift she gave me was, I mean, I saw her every week for four years and um, she her name was Dr. Melissa Hart, H-A-R-T-E. So anyone listening who's been through trauma, she wrote a book called Emotion Focused Therapy and an extraordinary woman. But I remember, you know, find, when I found out that she had died, the greatest gift she gave me was me sitting in the car, you know, turning off the call when I'd spoken to the person who told me, and I just sat there and I went, 
and I cried for about 30 seconds and I went, thank you, Melissa, because I didn't fall in a hole. I didn't fall yeah. into the abyss. I yeah, journaled yeah. about it. I wrote about I rang my friends and said, this is what's happened. And there's not a day where I don't think, oh, I'll tell Melissa when I see her, but she's gone. But, you know, therapy for comedians it's pretty oh, much, we have essential. to have it. We have to have it. But the essential. biggest problem, but, uh, you know, saying this, you know, I was thinking about this as I was driving here today and thinking, you know, what do I want to do in the, in the last part of my life? You know, I'm in the third chapter of my life now. And I thought what I really want to do, and I thought I'll talk to Nellie about this because we maybe might be able to do something. I want to make sure that everyone in this country can see a therapist under Medicare whenever they want to see one. Oh, yeah, because because yeah, because the thing yeah. is to try because of COVID, trying to get in, trying to find a therapist anywhere has become impossible, mm. and the people who get the help they need have private health insurance. Mm. Most people don't have that anymore. Most people mm. can't afford it. And mm. people are dying. They're taking their own mm. lives because they haven't got anyone to talk to or they don't have anyone to talk to who's skilled. So I know families with kids, you know, who are autistic, who need like both the parents and the child need support in, in a way that's immediate, Yes, you know, that it's in crisis, who are on waiting lists for eight months nine months, 10 yeah. months. My older daughter who has a long-term illness, she needs to get in to see a cardiologist. The first appointment with the cardiologist is next July. Let's do something about it, Nellie. My therapist who I started seeing this year and who I pay privately, and I'm blessed to have enough money to be able to pay her, but there's no way, I, you know, if you didn't have literally have the money, you wouldn't be able to, Yeah, which is exactly what we're talking about. But she has, so she's a trauma-informed therapist and she has been absolutely revolutionary for me. So she talks about little Nelly, you know, which will be unfamiliar, will be familiar to people. Like a lot of people say, you know, you got to talk to the child inside. Of course, yeah. But she also has another one where she goes, there's also what she calls Mulbranelli. And she goes, Mulbranelli is like the defiant teenager. Yes. Who goes, you've got Friday night by yourself. You're going to have a gin in the shed and bum a smoke off the postie. And she said, you know what? We're not going to kill either of them. Like no. they have both protected you yeah, and they have served you well. Survival And traits. we are not trying to get rid of either of them. We're going to love them. They're yep. just not in charge. Yeah. And for me, because I have wavered my whole life where I'll go, right, I'm going to lose 20 kilos. I'm not eating carbs. I'm not having any sugar. I can't have any alcohol. I don't like to the extreme. And of course, that's trying to kill off Mulber Nelly. And then she reasserts herself. And before you know it, Nelly's eating a cake. Yeah. I thought Mal- no. Marlboro Nelly and Alpine Tracy would get along. <laughs> you know what? They have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Although, as unfortunately, long as, not in charge, as yeah. long as they are not like they're leading. Okay. You, at this age, as long as 47-year-old Nellie is actually in charge but still loves and respects yeah. the little 4-year-old and the 14-year-old, yeah. we're good. I've been trying to kill them off. I've been Look, I've been in therapy and 12-step work for a really long time and what I've learned is Alpine Tracy can't have one cigarette because she'll have 5,000. Yes. And um, Red Wine Tracy can't have one because she'll no. get shit-faced and die. And so, yes. um, you know, I'm coming up to 18 or 19 years without a drink. And I, 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 Congratulations. People, well, thank you. But people say congratulations and I say, 
it's it's life and death for me. I don't yeah, have yeah. I, I don't have a choice. So I'm a member of a twelve step fellowship, which is in the old parlance very easy to find at the start of the phone book, and um, and it's an anonymous fellowship, so I can't mention it. But I I've learned I have one day at a time. So if I could be that person who had a mm. I'd lo- I would love to go. Oh, I'll meet you in the shed for a G and T and a ciggy. Yeah. But I can't. But I tell you what, yeah. we will do. We're going to meet as soon as we can, and we're going to have a meal, or we might even have a. Why don't we have a night with you and me and Cal Wilson? Watch something fabulous and see if we can change yes. the world about therapy yeah yes oh yeah. yes because oh, i th- i reckon a few of us who love a bit of therapy talk. i reckon we could we could you know and if enough of us got together we could create something and create a movement where we can speak to people like fiona Patton from the reason party and get some stuff across the line where we need to change we need to make some change because you know more people are struggling with mental health issues than ever before and we're not mm. being supported so well and the support works i think that's yeah. the other thing that we don't talk about enough like yeah. actually having a skilled therapist access to a good gp yep. or a good yep. health professional who knows what they're talking about these things do actually work oh god yeah and they save lives yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. So we, we might hide in the shed, but I'll bring, you know, a bottle of kombucha and yeah. um, <laughs> and maybe maybe some green tea. Um, okay. But um, I'll watch you have your ciggy and, and I'll just well, look, in, Cal, I'll inhale. Cal doesn't drink either. So, you know, I'll just sit there by myself. Yeah, that's um, all right, but we'll be with you. We'll be I only holding have one or space. two and that'll be enough. Yep, gorgeous. Nellie yeah. Thomas, I think you are fantastic and I'm so happy that we've caught up after so long. So long, and yes. And make sure you go to NellieThomas.com and look at all of her books and buy something and particularly... Fat Miles. Some mums of Fat Miles <laughs> because I will be putting my order in today. I just absolutely love it. and I'm, I'm just thrilled that you've found this part of yourself that's just so creative and brilliant you know what for me that book honestly is just about like there's so much anxiety among mums about not getting it right yeah and the truth is if you love your kids you're getting it right show up for them like that's 95 percent 95 percent all the rest of the shit that we hear from the celebrities and even the experts is absolute bullshit they need to feel loved and cared for yeah if you've got a hairy snatch or you've got a you know fat ass or you Will you stop talking about me like you're fine (laughs) i have both (laughs) yeah exactly yep loving it all nelly thomas love you thanks for having me see you guys As we all know, podcasts are free to listen to, but they are certainly not free to create. The following extraordinary people have contributed their amazing talents to create Laughaholics, and I wholeheartedly recommend their businesses. Laughaholics audio production, editing and imaging, brilliantly executed by Daryl Misson. The Laughaholics logo was created by Rick Plumridge at Ricochet Graphics. The Laughaholics show theme was lovingly composed by Steve the Bastard, And for more information on the Laughaholics experience as a professional development tool, please go to tracybartram.com.au where you'll see my new website. Thank you so much to NME Digital for their amazing work. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Laughaholics. Celebrating laughter.